Shalom, shalom. Welcome, welcome, world changers. Tonight is another night of reading scripture, reading it as we're reading it in a loosely chronological order. And uh, we're going to be talking about what we're reading here, uh, taking your questions and your comments in the live chat. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome. So tonight we're going to get into 2 Chronicles chapter 28, 2 Kings 16 to 17. And comparing comparing that somewhat, there, there are some uh, correlations there. Uh, and also we're going to read Isaiah chapter 13 through 17. So that is Isaiah chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, and 17. 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, son of Remaliah, Ahaz, or Ahaz, the son of Yotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned, he reigned for 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. Now, if we just compare that with what we have over here in 2 Chronicles, it says Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem for 16 years. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord as his father David had done. So pretty much the same, slightly worded, slightly different. Um, 2 Kings 16, verse 3. This is moving, this is the very next verse. Um, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel, and he even made his son pass through the fire in accordance with the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out before the sons of Israel. In 2 Chronicles 28, verse 2, it says, But he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He also made cast metal images for the Baals, or for the Baals. In 2 Kings 16, verse 4, the next verse, And he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. In 2 Chronicles 28, it says, Furthermore, he burned incense in the, in the valley of Ben-Hinnom and burned his sons in fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from the sons of Israel. He sacrificed and burned incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. Yes. Um, so burning burning his sons in the fire probably was uh, the um, speaking of the god of Moloch. Okay, the god of Moloch is a um, it's actually like a big statue, and uh, it's like half man, half bull, and uh, its belly is open. So what they, what they would do is uh, they would basically sacrifice babies in the belly as if it was in the womb of this god, the god of Molech. Okay, so this is basically Ahaz was doing these things. And yeah, so it's 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 very uh, very gruesome thing, um, signifying the death of a baby in the womb of this particular statue. Okay, so uh, moving on. This is 2 Kings chapter 16, verse 5. Then Rezin, the king of Aram and Pekah, the, the son of Remaliah, king of Israel, 
went up to Jerusalem for war and they besieged Ahaz or Ahaz, but were not capable of fighting him. At that time, Razin, king of Aram, restored Elath to Aram and drove the Judeans away from Elath. And the Arameans came to Elath and lived there to this day. Again, skipping on over here to 2 Chronicles chapter 18, verse 4. Excuse me, 2 Chronicles chapter 22. And it says, chapter 22, verse 4. Uh, he sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places, on the hills, and under every green tree. So that would cor- correlate with um, verse 4 of 2 Kings chapter 16. Now, for those of you who are not very uh, familiar with uh, the Bible, uh, the Tanakh, if you will, uh, the uh, second, first and second Chronicles has a lot of, uh, it's, 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 um, much of it is repeated from first and second Samuel and first and second Kings. So this is why I put it side by side because I, we don't want to read. I mean, we're doing it in a chronological order. So um, we don't want to read all of first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and then go over the whole thing again in first and second Chronicles. We want to do it together. Okay, so first uh second Kings, excuse me, uh, chapter 16. Then Rezin, king of Aram. So I excuse me, I just read that. Verse 6. At that time, Rezin, king of Aram, restored Elath to Aram and drove the, Ju- the Ju- Judeans away from Elath, and the Arameans uh, came to Elath and lived there to this day. So Ahaz sent messengers to Tiglath Halazer, king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and save me from the hand of the king of Aram, and from the hand of the king of Israel, who are, who are rising up against me. And Ahaz took the silver and gold, and was found in the house of the Lord, and in the treasuries of the king's house, and sent a gift to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria listened to him, and the king of Assyria went up against Damascus and captured it, and led the people of it into exile to Kir, and put Rezin to death. Now, King Ahaz went to Damascus to meet Tiglath-Pileser, king of Assyria, and he saw the altar which was at Damascus. And King Ahaz sent to Uriah, the priest, to uh, the pattern of the altar and its model, according to all its workmanship. So Uriah, the priest, built an altar according to everything that King Ahaz had sent from Damascus in the way Uriah, the priest, made it before the coming of King Ahaz from Damascus. And when the king came from Damascus, the king saw the altar. Then the king approached the altar and went up to it and burnt his burnt offering and his meal offering and poured out his drink offering and sprinkled the blood of his peace offerings on the altar. And the bronze altar, which was before the Lord, he brought from the, from the front of the house, from between his altar and the house of the Lord. And he put it on the north side of his altar. Then King Ahaz commanded Uriah, the priest, saying, Upon the great altar 
burn the bur- the morning burn offering, the the evening meal offering, the king's burn offering, and his meal offering with the burn offering of the people of the land, their meal offering and their drink offerings, and sprinkle it all. Sprinkle, excuse me, sprinkle on it all the blood of the burnt offering and all the blood of the sacrifice. But the bronze altar shall be shall be for me for making inquiries. So Uriah the priest acted in accordance with everything that King Ahaz commanded. Then King Ahaz cut off the borders of the stands and removed the wash basin from them. He also took down the sea from the the bronze oxen, which were under it, and put it on the pavement of stone. And the covered way for the Sabbath, which they had built in the house, and the outer entry of the king, he removed from the house of the Lord because of the king of Assyria. Now as for the rest of the acts of Ahaz, which he did, are they not writ in the book of the Chronicles? of the kings of Judah. So Ahaz lay down with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the in the city of David. And his son, Hezekiah, Kizkiahu, reigned in his place. Okay, so let's go on over here to 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Okay, now again, for those of you who are not... Um, if you want to follow along with me, if you want to see what I'm reading, if you want to see it side by side as I'm reading it, reading it side by side, please go on over to um, to YouTube. Look me up over there. And um, and you can you can avail yourself of the screen share that I'm doing over there. So this is Second Chronicles 28, verse 5. Therefore the Lord his God handed him over to the king of Aram, and they defeated him and carried from him a great number of captives and brought them to Damascus. And he was handed over to the king of Israel, who struck him with, with heavy casualties. For Pekah, the son of Remaliah, killed 120,000 in Judah in one day, all valiant men, because they had abandoned the Lord God of their fathers, and Zikri, a mighty man of Ephraim killed Messiah, the king's son. As Rekom, the ruler of the house, and Alkana, the second to the king. The sons of Israel led away captive 200,000 of, the rel- of their relatives, women, sons, and daughters, and they also took a great deal of spoils from them and brought the spoils to Samaria. But the prophet of the Lord was there, whose name was Oded. And he went out to meet the army which came to Samaria and said to them, Behold, because the Lord, the God, the God of your fathers, was angry with Judah, he has handed them over to you, and you have killed them in a rage which has even reached heaven. Now you are proposing to subjugate the people of Judah and Jerusalem as male and female slaves for yourselves. Are you not, however, guilty yourselves of offenses against the Lord your God? Now then, listen to me and return the captives whom you captured from your brothers, 
for the burning anger of the Lord is against you. Then some of the leading men of the sons of Ephraim, Azariah, the son of Yehonan, Barakiah, the son of Mishalemoth, Yahizkiah, the son of Shalom, and Amasa, the son of Hadlai, rose up against those who were coming from the battle and said to them, You must not bring the captives in here, for you are proposing to bring guilt upon us before the Lord, adding to your sins and our guilt, for our guilt is great, and his burning anger is against Israel. So the armed men left the captives and the spoils before the officers of all and all the assembly. Then, then the men who were designated by name got up, took the captives, and they clothed all the naked people from the spoils and gave them clothes and sandals, fed them and gave them drink, anointed them with oil, led all their feeble ones on donkeys, and brought them to Jericho, the city of palm trees, to their brothers. Then they returned to Samaria. At that time, King Ahaz sent word to the kings of Assyria for help, for the Edomites had come again and attacked Judah and led away captives. The Philistines had also invaded the cities of the lowland and of the Negev of Judah and had taken Beth Shemesh, Aiyalon, Gedaroth, and Soko with its villages, Timnah with its villages, and Gimzo with its villages. And they had settled there. For the Lord had humbled Judah because of Ahaz, king of Israel, for he had brought about a lack of restraint in Judah and was very unfaithful to the Lord. So Tilgoth, Pelnizer, king of Assyria, came against him and afflicted him instead of strengthening him. Although Ahaz took a portion out of the house of the Lord and out of the palace of the king, and of the princes, and gave it to the king of Assyria, it did not help him. Now, during the time of his distress, the same king, Ahaz, became even more unfaithful to the Lord, for he sacrificed to the gods of Damascus, who had defeated him, and said, Because the the gods of the kings of Aram helped them, I will sacrifice to them, so that they may help me. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, so you know, let me just stop here just for a second. See, it's so it's so important to have good, you know, good political leaders, right? You have good political leaders that can lead the whole country one way or another. In this case, it was in the bad way. Moving on, this is the last part of verse 23. But they became the downfall of him and all Israel. Moreover, then Ahaz gathered together the utensils of the house of God. He cut the utensils 
of the house of God in pieces, and he closed the doors of the house of the Lord and made altars for himself in every corner of Jerusalem. And every in every city of Judah, he made high places to burn incense to other gods and provoked the Lord, the God of his fathers, to anger. Now the rest of his acts and all his ways, from the first to the last, behold, are they... Or excuse me, they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. So Ahaz lay down with his fathers, and they buried him in the city in Jerusalem, for they did not bring him to the tomb of the kings of Israel. And his son, Hezekiah, again, the Hebrew would be Hezekiahu, um, reigned in his place. Second Kings chapter 17. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, the son of Elah, became king over Israel in Samaria and reigned for nine years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, not only as the kings of Israel who preceded him, excuse me, only, only not as the kings of Israel who preceded him. Shalmaneser, the king of Assyria marched against him, and Hosea became his servant and paid him tribute. But the king of Assyria uncovered a conspiracy by Hosea, who had sent messengers to So, king of Egypt, and had then brought no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. So the king of Assyria arrested him and confined him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded the, the entire land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and led the people of Israel into exile to Assyria and settled them in Hala and Habor on the river of Gozan and in the cities of the Medes. Now this came about because the sons of Israel had sinned against the Lord, the Lord their God, who had brought them up from the land of Egypt, from under the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. They also followed the customs of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from the sons of Israel, and in the customs of the kings of Israel, which they had introduced. And the sons of Israel did things secretly against the Lord their God, which were not right. Moreover, they built for themselves high places in all their towns, from watchtower to fortified city. And they set up for themselves memorial stones and Eshirim on every high hill and under every green tree. And there they burned incense on all the high places as the nations did that the Lord had taken into exile before them. And they did evil things, provoking the Lord. They served idols, concerning which the Lord had said to them, You shall not do this thing. Yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and, and every seer, saying, Turn back from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes in accordance with all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent you through my servants, the prophets. Now, you know, I got to stop here just for a second, because this is, this is really good. This is really important to understand. Ver, uh, this is really important. 
yet the Lord, yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets. Now in the footnotes, by the hand of okay, all his prophets and every seer saying, turn back from your evil ways. Okay. So it's very important here to understand that every prophet, all prophets, all seers, their primary purpose, their primary purpose is to call people to repentance, period. Their primary purpose is not to foretell the future, okay? Their primary purpose is not to tell about, you know, what's going to happen, you know, 2,000 years from now. What's going to happen in the end, the end times, the end days? That's not the primary purpose. That's not the for, first and foremost thing on the heart and on the mind of God. The first thing and the most, the foremost thing that's on the heart and the mind of God is repentance to get people to turn away from their evil ways. You say, what is evil? How do you define that? Evil is defined through the Torah. What is, what the Torah uh, tells you to do? What the Torah tells you not to do, that is righteousness. To as it even says in uh in in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, you know, to do what is right is righteousness. To do what is right, to practice righteousness. Those who practice righteousness, those who do what is right, is righteous. Okay. So the opposite of that is those who do what is wrong. What is wrong? disobeying God. That's wrong. Okay. Not going by his instructions, i.e. Torah. That's wrong. So it's very, very important for those of you, anyone who is interested in anything in, in to do with the Holy Scriptures, you need to understand that the primary purpose of a prophet, it doesn't matter if it's a so-called Old Testament prophet or a New Testament prophet, the primary purpose of a prophet is to call people to repentance and to call people back to the commandments of God. That's it. Again, you need to understand, every believer needs to know this very, very well. I'll read, I know I've read this a few times, but I, I believe it should be read again, okay? By the way, I am going to be touching on something very, very interesting here. Just, um, <laughs> um, okay, so... <sighs> As I usually said, I haven't said it today, okay? Um, as, I, as I usually say, if you know of any Christians, if you know of any believers that would benefit from any of the stuff that we're talking about, if they're even slightly open to listen, to learn, even if they, you know, whether they agree or not, that's a different thing. But just humble enough to listen. If they're able to listen, give them a shout. Send them a message. Let them know about this live stream because I'm going to get to a very, very important verse here. The verse that I'm going to uh, I'm going to read in just a matter of maybe five, ten minutes, okay, 
is is one of the key verses in in the entire Tanakh that very clearly spells out for us that the Torah is to be observed forever. Not until the Messiah comes and then comes a new dispensation, but no, forever. Okay? So, Again, very, very. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm like a little, I'm like one of those, uh, you know, flashing, uh, you know, amber lights, uh, flashing yellow lights. Going, warning, warning. Not warning. It's not a good warning, actually. I mean, it's not a bad warning. It's a good warning. I'm just saying, good verse up ahead. Very good verse up ahead. Let people know to tune in so they can listen to this. Every believer needs to hear what I'm about to read here in Second Kings chapter 17. It is. Is a game changer. It is a game changer. Okay, I just skipped on over to the New King James. It's worded slightly different, so let's just read this. Um, New King James, Second Kings, chapter seventeen, verse thirteen. Yet the Lord testified against Israel and Judah by all of his prophets and every seer, saying, Turn from your evil ways and keep my commandments and my statutes according to all the law which I command your fathers and which I sent to you by my servants, the prophets. Okay? It is the prophet's primary, primary job to preach repentance and to get people back on back in line with Torah. Verse 14. Nevertheless, they would not hear, but stiffened their necks like the necks of their fathers, who did not believe in the Lord their God. And they rejected his statutes and his covenant that he made with their fathers and his testimonies, which he had testified against them. They followed idols, became idolaters, and went after the nations who were all around them, concerning whom the Lord had charged them that they should not do like them. So they, so they left all the commandments of the Lord their God, made for themselves a molded image and two calves. We're talking about Jeroboam now, right? Jeroboam made a wooden image and worshipped all the hosts of heaven and served Baal. And they caused their sons and daughters to pass through the fire, practice witchcraft and soothsaying, and sold themselves to do evil in the sight of the Lord, to provoke him to anger. Therefore the Lord was very angry with Israel and removed them from his sight. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being removed from the sight of God like God doesn't even see me? Can you imagine? Can you imagine how horrible that would be to say, I know right now I'm not even in the sight of God. And God is not even, God doesn't even recognize me. He's not even looking. He's not seeing me at all. Remove them from his sight and there was none left but the tribe of Judah alone. Also, Judah did not keep, also Judah did not keep the commandments of the Lord their God, but walked in the statutes of Israel, which they made. Keep in mind, 
right? So it's either you're walking in the Lord, the Lord's statutes, or you're walking in man's statutes. It's either you're walking in the statutes of God, or you are walking in the statutes of man. Or as you, you can even say in the shepherd of Hermas, shepherd of Hermas makes it pretty clear in the book of the shepherd of Hermas, it says that you're either basically, you are either obeying the commandments of God or you are obeying the commandments of the devil. One and the other. This is 2 Kings 17, verse 20. And the Lord rejected all the descendants of Israel, afflicted them, and delivered them into the hand of plunderers until he had cast them from his sight. For he tore Israel from the house of David, and they made Jeroboam son of Naboth king. Then Jeroboam drove Israel from following the Lord and made them commit a great sin. For the children of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did. They did not depart from them until the Lord removed Israel out of his sight. And he had, as he had said by all his servants, the prophets, so Israel was carried away from their own land to to Assyria as it is to this day. Verse 24. Then the king of Assyria brought people from Babylon, Kuta, Ava, Hamath, and Sepharvaim, and placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they took possession of Samaria and dwelt in, the, in its cities. See what happens when you, have, when, you have, when you have strangers come in the land. When you have strangers come in the land, take over the land, Something's wrong, as it was in this in this uh, circumstance. Second Kings seventeen twenty five, and it was so at the beginning of their dwelling there that the Lord that they did not fear the Lord. Therefore, the Lord sent lions among them, which killed some of them. Again, we got we got God who sends wild animals, right? So God uses everything and anything he, he wants to, be it, you know, insects, right? <laughs> or uh, natural disaster, weather, um, pestilence, disease, wild animals. He uses everything. Enemies, he uses people, okay? Verse 26. So they spoke to the king of Assyria saying, the nations whom you have removed and placed in the cities of Samaria do not know the rituals of the Lord of the, or of, of the God of the land. Therefore, he had sent lions among them. And indeed, they are killing them because they do not know the rituals of the God of the land. And then the king of Assyria commanded, saying, send there one Send there one of the priests whom you brought from there. Let him go and dwell there. Let him teach them the rituals of the God of the land. Then one of the priests whom they had carried away from Samaria came and dwelt in Bethel and taught them how they should fear the Lord. We need to be taught how to fear the Lord. It's so important. Verse 29, however, every nation continued to make gods of its own and put them in the shrines 
on the high places which the Samaritans had made, every nation in the cities where they dwelt. The men of Babylon made Sukkot, Benot. The men of Kut made Nergal. The men of Hamath made Ashima. And the Avites made Nibhaz and Tartak. And the Shepharvites burned their children in fire to Adramalech and Anamalech, the gods of Sepharvaim. So they feared the Lord. And from every class they appointed for themselves priests of the high places who sacrificed for them in the shrines of the high, of the high places. They feared the Lord yet served their own gods according to the rituals of the nations from among them from among whom they were carried away so this day they continue practicing the former rituals they do not fear the lord nor do they follow the, their statutes or their ordinances or the land, the law, or the, or excuse me, or the law and commandment which the Lord had commanded the children of Jacob, whom He named Israel, with whom the Lord had made a covenant and charged them, saying, "You shall not fear other gods, nor bow down to them, nor serve them, nor sacrifice to them." But the Lord who brought you up from the land of Egypt with great power and an outstretched arm, him you shall fear, him you shall worship, and to him you shall offer sacrifice. Here's the verse here that, here is the verse. This is the kicker right here. Verse 37. And the statutes, the ordinances, the law, and the commandment which he wrote for you, you shall be careful to observe forever. You shall not fear other gods. Okay. So, and this is just one of the umpteen scores of passages that it says that the law, the commandment is forever. But not only does it say it's forever, it's to be observed forever. It's to be observed forever. Verse 38. And the covenant that I made with you, you shall not forget, nor shall you, you fear other gods. But the, God, but the Lord your God you shall fear, and he will deliver you from the hand of all your enemies. However, they did not obey, but they followed their, their former rituals. So these nations feared the Lord, yet served their carved images. Also their children and their children's children have continued doing as their fathers did even to this day. So I'm going to just quickly go through some of the comments we got here before we get into the book of Isaiah. Um, again, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be reading or answering huge comment or you know huge questions right now. Uh, we have more to read here before we call it a night, but 
Let's see what we got here. Anthony, your, your question about the book of Sirach. I'll get to that. I'll, I will get to that after. I'm just going to read that portion in Isaiah and I'll get to that. Anthony says, um, can you guys pray for me that I will bear fruit and be a light in my new workplace and that I wear my seat seat without shame and that I do a good job? My work is very fast paced, please. Yes, certainly. Let's play. We'll pray that right now. Okay. Okay. Let's do that. So Father, once again, Father, we come before you. And we just worship you, Father. We come, we come into your courts with thanksgiving in our hearts. We come before you. And we praise your holy name. We bless you. You are the great and awesome God. You who keep your covenant of love with those who love you and those who follow your commands. Father, we ask you that you would have mercy upon Anthony. We ask you, Father, that you would give Anthony boldness in his workplace. We ask you, Father, that you would cause him to bear much fruit and be a light, not just with his words, but even more so with his actions and with his, with his words as well, but with his actions so that people look at him and say, hey, there's something, this is not like anybody else. This, this, this person is not like anybody else. I want to be like him. Father, make Anthony a leader not a follower, somebody who influences and not some not somebody who is influenced by the world. And Father, we ask that you would give him boldness to wear seed seat and that he would do a good job and you would give him favor in the sight, in your sight, Father, and also in the sight of man. For your name's sake, in the name of Yeshua of Nazareth, everyone said, Amen, Amen. I can answer this one quickly. Again, I want to, some questions are very involved, so we'll, we'll leave those for later. By biblical standards, what, what makes an animal clean or unclean? I would highly recommend not, not um, trying to figure it out. Okay. Uh, I mean, it's nothing wrong with, with trying to figure it out. Nothing wrong with that. It's just that people, people say, well, like, for example, like, you know, um, just for example, you know, we should eat, uh, we shouldn't eat the unclean, what God says is unclean because it's not healthy for us and, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, saying that thing is good. Like, I mean, I can say I was, I'm, I've, I believe I'm a whole lot more healthier since I've been eating the way I've been eating. Uh, however, we don't, we don't eat clean just to be healthy. We eat clean because God said so. Simple as that. Simple as that. Now, it can go into more of a figurative kind of or spiritual sense of, you know, like how the book of uh, the epistle of Barnabas explains you know, that it's not just the, like, for example, like the pig is the most famous one, right? The pig. So it's like the pig is unclean in many, many ways. One, one of which, one of the ways is it's, it's behavior. Okay. Uh, so, I mean, there, there are a lot of different levels of that. I don't think that we should, we should be adding too much to what's, what God actually said. If God said in Leviticus 11, right. He says, 
this is what you should eat. This is what you shouldn't eat. He didn't, if he gave us reasons, then we'll take those for reasons. If he didn't give us reasons, well, let's not take them as primary reason. Let's not make them our, our, you know, our primary reason for eating that. Uh, I guess what I'm saying is bottom line is this biblical standard is just to do what God said to do. That's simple as that. We can try to figure it out. Like I said, that's fine, but I just wouldn't put, I wouldn't, I wouldn't make that a primary issue. Thank you very much. Going nowhere. Very good question. We'll get to that afterwards. Uh, so this one here, when they came to arrest Jesus, did Jesus kiss him on Judas kiss him on the cheek or on the lips? It would have been on the, on the cheek. Um, I mean, it's, it's more of a um, cultural thing for sure. And yes, Billy, uh, to answer your question, definitely in all of this, all of this stuff talking about child sacrifice is what is going on in the world today. Uh, the battle in the womb. Okay. So it is, that's exactly what's going on. The only thing that is, the only thing that makes it different today is that it's more professionalized. Uh, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Definitely. Definitely. It's, it's to be looked at and applied. It's the same thing. Yep. By the way, you know what it says to pass your children through the fire? The fire in the scriptures is not just literal. I mean, you can take it literal, but fire is actually, um, it's a symbol of just death. You know, basically when it says passing, you cause your children to pass through the fires. Basically, basically what that means is just putting them, putting them to death. Okay. Take it literally or figuratively, fire is a symbol of death. Baptism with fire. Having said that, baptism with fire, to be baptized in fire uh, is actually, I believe it means to be to die to yourself 100%. That's what it means, right? So if you have died to yourself, you have completely sacrificed your old sinful self, so to speak. Your old sinful life is completely gone. It is crucified that you have had the baptism of fire as far as I'm concerned. Okay. Um, let's read on here. We got, uh, we got a lot more scriptures here to read. I'll get to those other questions as I promised. So Isaiah chapter 13, verse one, the pronouncement concerning Babylon, which Isaiah, the son of Amos saw. Now, by the way, Babylon um, dates all the way back to Babel. Babel and Babylon are pretty much the same name, by the way. Okay, so Babel, the city of Babel with the infamous Tower of Babel, it's the same thing. Okay, Babylon uh, speaks of, and it's a symbol of Haitian. Okay, it's it's a society. It's it's a it's a culture of communication, just like it was in the days of the city of Babel. Uh, I don't believe that in this, uh, again, this is a totally different subject, but I'll just touch on it. Just if you guys haven't listened to my videos on Babel, the city of Babel, the tower of Babel, please go and watch them. I go into a lot of detail there. I do not believe that it, there was only one language in those days. I believe that it, that the, uh, as it says in the Hebrew, and I break it down in the Hebrew in those, in those videos. I'm not going to do it now. I, I believe to really make it very simple, 
bring it right down, um, summarize everything. I believe when it says they were, that their language was one, it's, it's basically talking about uh, it was unified. They were able to understand each other. I don't know how. Perhaps they were multilingual. Perhaps they had high, like high technology like we have today. Actually, I believe that they probably had greater technology than we have we have today because even God said, if I don't stop them now, nothing's going to be impossible for them. God had to go and put a stop to their to their civilization. And if he didn't do that, basically, basically God was almost threatened. Okay. I mean, he was, he was basically, he was almost threatened. If I don't go and put a stop to these people right now, nothing's going to be impossible for them. They're basically going to be like God. We are not that we're, we're not there yet. Okay. God is not descending right now to, to, to mess up our, I mean, in different ways here and there, he has been, yes, but not in the way that he did in uh, in the days of Babel. So I do believe that Babylon is a symbol of Babel, and the city of Babel, I do believe, had many languages. However, they were, they were able to translate or understand each other very well. It was, it was a system, a highly advanced system of communication highly effective civilized uh, society of they're, they're able to communicate with one another freely okay and understand one another so i said that before that you know we read about babylon in the um uh book of revelation you know i think we are kind of we are getting there with uh with our communication that we have the communication technology that we have in the world today we are approaching that we're getting there um the pronouncement against babylon which isaiah the son of amos saw lift up a flag on the the bare hill bare hill in the footnotes windswept mountain raise your voice to them Wave the hand that they may enter the doors of the nobles. I have commanded my consecrated ones. I have also called my for my warriors who boast in my eminence to execute my anger. Wow. A sound of a roar on the mountains, like that of many people. This reminds me of Joel chapter 2, by the way. A sound, a sound of an uproar of kingdoms, of nations gathered together. The Lord of armies is mustering the army for battle. They are coming from a distant country, from the farthest horizons. In the footnotes from the end of heaven. The Lord and, and the weapons of his indignation to destroy the whole land. Joel's army. Isaiah 13, verse 6. Wail, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come as destruction from the Almighty. Therefore, all hands will fall limp, and every human heart will melt. They will be terrified. 
Pains and anguish will take hold of them. They will writhe like a woman in labor. They will look at one another in astonishment, their faces aflame. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation. Now, let me just stop here for just a moment. Why would the Lord be so angry? One word. Sin. Sin. That's why. People don't take it serious enough. You know, people don't take it. Well, we're under grace now. Well, God is God is love. He's also this same God that we're reading about right now. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land a desolation. He will exterminate its sinners from it. It doesn't say they're all going to be holding hands singing, Jesus loves me, this I know. That's not what it says. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash their light. The sun will be dark with its or when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. So I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their wrongdoing. I will also put an end to the audacity of the proud. Don't we have people today with pride? Don't we? God says here in Isaiah 13, verse 11, I will also put an end to the audacity of the proud and humiliate the arrogance of the tyrants. Humiliate the arrogance of the tyrants, the violent. I will make mortal man scarcer than pure gold, and mankind than the gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble, and the earth will be shaken from its place. At the fury of the Lord of armies, in the day of his burning anger, and it will be that, like a hunted gazelle, or like sheep with no one to gather them, each of them will turn to his own people, and each of them will flee to his own land. Everyone who is found will be thrust through, and anyone who is captured will fall by the sword. Their little ones also will be dashed to pieces before their eyes. Their houses will be plundered and their wives raped. Behold, I am going to stir up the Medes against them, who will not value silver or take pleasure in gold. And their bows will mow down the young men, and they will not even have compassion on the fruit of the womb, nor will their eye pity children. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. It will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation. 
nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds allow their flocks to lie down there. But desert creatures will lie down there, and their houses will be full of owls, in the footnotes, howling creatures. Ostriches will also live there, and shaggy goats will frolic there. Shaggy goats or goat demons. Goat demons will frolic there. Hyenas or howling creatures again. Hyenas will howl in their fortified towers and jackals in their luxurious palaces. Her fateful time also will come, will soon come, and her days will not be prolonged. Powerful, isn't it? Chapter 14. When the Lord had when the Lord has compassion on Jacob and again chooses Israel and settles them on their own land, then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. The peoples will take them along and bring them to their place, and the house of Israel will make them own their own excuse me, will make them their own possession in the land of the Lord as male and female servants, and they will take their captors captive and will rule over their oppressors. And it will be on the day when the Lord gives you rest from your hardship, your, your turmoil, and from the harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, how the oppressor has ceased and how the onslaught has ceased. The Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepter of rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes, which subdued the nations in anger and un with, with unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. Even the juniper trees rejoice over you and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since you have been laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Sheol below is excited about you to meet you when you come. It stirs the spirits of the dead for you, all the leaders of the earth. In the footnotes, spirits of the dead or shades, Hebrew, raf, Raphaim, Raphaim, and all the leaders of the earth. Leaders of the earth in the footnotes, literally male goats. So the Raphaim, it stirs up the Raphaim and all the male goats. It raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will all respond and say to you, even you have become weak as we. You have become like us. Your pride and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath you, and worms are your covering. How you are fallen from heaven, you star of the morning. Son of the dawn, star of the morning, 
Hallel, shining one. Okay. Now, let me just stop here for a second, because I know this is a very famous passage, typically understood to be talking about the devil. Now, this is where we get, uh, I believe in the uh, uh, King James, where we get the term Lucifer from. Now, Now, here's just a question. Question, okay? And I know, I know that some people are going to go, what? When I say this. But listen, this is talking about somebody who fell from heaven. And a lot of people say that, that the devil did. Or came from heaven and came down to the earth and was buried. Okay? Someone who was called the star of the morning. The son of the dawn. Could this be talking about Yeshua after he was crucified and buried? Could it be? Just asking. Could it be talking about Yeshua? Could it be talking about Jesus? Came from heaven, you know that song, came from heaven to earth to show the way, from the earth to the cross. From the cross to the grave. So it's like came from the hive, came from heaven, now now buried, basically, so to speak. Could it be? Star of the morning, day star, son of the dawn, Lucifer, which means simply light bearer. I am the light. Okay. You star of the morning, son of the dawn, you have been cut down to the earth. You who defeated the nations or the Gentiles, but you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven and I will raise my throne above the stars of, of God. And I will sit on the Mount of Assembly and in the recesses of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the Most High. Nevertheless, you will be brought down to Sheol, the grave, to the recesses of the pit. Now, notice, it doesn't really say you will never ascend to heaven. The way it talks here is as if you will be brought down to Sheol at least first to the recesses of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you. They, they will closely examine you, saying, is this the man who made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world like a Wilson overthrew its cities? Who did not allow his prisoners to go home? All the kings of the nations lie in glory, each in his own tomb. But you have been hurled out of your tomb. Rejected branch in in the footnotes and of Yeshua, it was also called the branch, right? Clothed with those killed who have been pierced with a sword, who go down to the stones of the pit like a trampled corpse. You will not be united with them in burial because you have ruined your country, you have killed your people. Now, of course, most people would say that's not Yeshua. Um, may the descendants of evildoers never be mentioned. 
prepare a place of slaughter for his sons. Again, who's his? His sons. Because of the wrongdoing of their fathers, they must not arise and take possession of the earth and fill the surface of the world with cities. I will rise up against them, declares the Lord of armies, and eliminate from Babylon name and survivors, offspring and descendants, declares the Lord. I will make it the property of the hedgehog and the and swamps of water, I will sweep it away with the broom of destruction, declares the Lord, the Lord of armies. The Lord of armies has sworn, saying, Certainly, just as I have intended, so it has happened, and just as I have planned, so it will stand to break Assyria in my land, and I will trample him on my mountains. Then his yoke will be removed, and his burden from from their shoulders. This is the plan devised against the entire and this is the hand that is stretched out against all the nations. For the Lord of armies has planned and who can frustrate it? And as for the stretched out hand, who can turn it back? In the year that King Ahaz died, this pronouncement came. Do not rejoice, Philistia. Philistia. All of you, because the rod that struck you is broken. For from the serpent's root, a viper will come out. And its fruit will be a winged serpent. Those who are most helpless will eat. And the poor will lie down in security. I will kill your root with famine. And it will kill your survivors. Wail, you gate. Cry, you city. Melt away, Philistia, all of you, for smoke comes from the north, and there is no straggler in his ranks. What answer will one give the messengers of the nation that the Lord has founded Sion, the Lord has founded Zion, and the poor of his people will take refuge in it? Isaiah chapter 15. The pronouncement concerning Moab. Certainly, in a night, Ar of Moab is devastated and ruined. Certainly, in a night, Kir of Moab is devastated and ruined. The people have gone up to take to, excuse me, the people have gone up to the temple and to Dibon, to the high places to weep. Moab wails over Nabo and Medeba. Everyone's head is bald and every beard is cut off. In their streets, they have put on sackcloth and burlap, burlap clothes. All their housetops, excuse me, on their housetops and in their public squares, everyone is wailing, overcome with weeping. Heshbon and Eleala also cry out. Their voices heard all the way to Yahaz. Therefore, the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles within him. My heart cries out for Moab. His fugitives are as far as Zoar and Egloth, Shalishia. And they go up the ascent of Luhith, weeping. Indeed, on the road to Horonaim, 
they rise a they raise a cry of distress over their collapse. For the waters of Nimrim are desolate. Indeed, the grass is withered. The new growth has, has died. There is no greenery. Therefore, the abundance which they have acquired and stored up, they carry it off over the brook of Arabim. For the cry of distress is gone around the territory of Moab. Its wailing goes as far as Eglaim, and it's howling to Be'er Elim. For the waters of Demon are full of blood. I will certainly bring added woes upon Demon, a lion upon the fugitives of Moab and the remnant of the land. Isaiah chapter 16. Send the tribute, lamb, to the ruler of the land, from Selah, by the way of the wilderness, to the mountain of the daughter of Zion. Then, like fluttering birds or scattered nestlings, the mountains of Moab will be at the crossing places of the Arnon. Give us advice. Make a decision. Cast a shadow like night at noon. At high noon, hide the outcast. Do not betray the fugitive. Let the outcasts of Moab stay with you. Be a hiding place to them from the destroyer, from the oppressor that has, that has come to an end. Destruction has ceased. Oppressors have been removed from the land. A throne will be established in faithfulness, and a judge will sit on it in trustworthiness in the tent of David. Moreover, he will seek justice and be, be prompt in righteousness. We have heard of the pride of Moab, an excessive pride, even of his arrogance, pride and fury. His idle boasts are false. Therefore, Moab will wail. Everyone of Moab will wail. You will mourn for the raisin cakes of Kir Harashet as those who are utterly stricken. For the fields of Heshbon have withered the vines of Sibma as well. The lords of the nations have trampled down its choice clusters, which reached as far as Yazer and wandered to the deserts. Its tendrils spread themselves out and passed over the sea. Therefore, I will weep bitterly for Yazer, for the vine of Sibna. I will drench you with my tears, Heshbon and Aleila, for the shouting over your summer fruits and your harvest has fallen away. Gladness and joy are taken away from the fruitful field. In the vineyards also, there will be no cries of joy or jubilant shouting. No treader treads out the wine in the, wine, in the presses, for I have made the shouting to cease. Therefore, in my, therefore, my inner being sounds like a harp for Moab, and my heart for Kir Sheth. So it will come about presents himself when he when he tires himself upon his high place and comes to his sanctuary to pray that he will not prevail. This is the word which the Lord spoke earlier concerning Moab. 
But now the Lord has spoken, saying, Within three years, as a hired worker would count them, the glory of Moab will become contemptible, along with its great population, and its remnant will be very small and impotent. Isaiah chapter 17. The pronouncement concerning Damascus. Behold, Damascus is about to be removed from being a city, and it will become a fallen ruin. The cities of Aror are abandoned. They will be for herds to lie down in, and there will be no one to frighten them. The fortified city will disappear from Ephraim and sovereignty from Damascus and the remnant of Aram. They will be like the glory of the sons of Israel, declares the Lord of armies. Now on that day, the glory of Jacob will fade, and the fatness of his flesh will become lean. It will be like the reaper gathering the standing grain, and his arm harvests, as his arm harvests the field, excuse me, as his arm harvests the ears, or it will be like one gleaning ears of grain in the valley of Raphaim. Yet gleanings will be left in it like the shaking of an olive tree. Two or three olives on the topmost branch, four or five on the branches of a fruitful tree, declares the Lord, the God of Israel. On that day, man will look to his maker, and his eyes will, will look to the Holy One of Israel. And he will not look to the altars, the work of his hands, nor will he look to that which his fingers have made, even the Ashirim and incense altars. On that day, their strong cities will be like abandoned places in the forest, or like branches which they abandon have aban- excuse me, which they abandoned be- before the sons of Israel. And the land will be in desolation. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Therefore, you plant delightful plants and set them with vine shoots of a strange God. On the day that you plant it, you carefully fence it in. And in the morning, you bring your seed to blossom, but the harvest will flee on the day of illness and curable pain. Oh, the uproar of many peoples will roar like the roaring of the seas and the rumbling of nations who rush on, who rush on like the rumbling of mighty waters. The nations rumble on like the rumbling of many waters. Just while I'm here, let me just, let me just say that I don't know how many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls. But if you've never been to Niagara Falls, if you ever go, if you if you've ever go, if you ever go there, okay, there is a thing that you can do. You can go actually in tunnels behind the falls, and it's quite amazing. Um, I remember going back behind the falls in tunnels, and the roaring of the waters is just phenomenal. It's like thunder. It's just thunder. It's amazing. So when I read something like this, I think about that. Again, this is Isaiah chapter 17, verse 13. The nations will rumble on like the rumbling of many waters. 
but he will rebuke them and they will flee far away and be chased like chaff on the mountains before the wind or like whirling dust before a gale. At evening time, behold, there is terror. Before morning, they are gone. This will be the fate of those who plunder us and the lot of those who pillage us. And so that that concludes our reading of scripture. Now I'm going to get into the comments. Okay, so I promised uh, promised that I would get to a few of these. Anthony, uh, this was the first one I promised that I would get back to. Um, do you have any good arguments to defend the book of Sirach as inspired? Uh, what do you think about Sirach 12 verses 4 and 5? Well, let's check out Sirach 12 verses 4 and 5. Okay, uh, this would be Sirach. This is the book of Sirach, ver- uh, chapter 12, verse 4. Give to the devout. Do not go to, to the help of a sinner. Okay, so let's 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 just comment on this. Okay, so basically, what 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 this means to me, what I uh, interpret this to mean, is to help those who are doing good. If they're not doing good, don't help them to do good. Okay, um, if if they are, you know, don't give to someone who is going to use that to 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 uh, you know to the detriment of 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 goodness to sin against your God. Uh, verse five, do good to the humble, give nothing to the godless, same kind of principle, refuse him bread, do not give him any, if, if, uh, it might make him stronger than you are, then you would be, excuse me, then you would be repaid evil twice over for all the good you had done, you had done him. Yeah. So again, again, obviously this is talking about somebody who is, uh, who, who is willing to willing and perhaps even able to destroy you. Okay. So, Hey, if there's someone at the, it's it's almost like, you know, if someone comes to your door and they want, or if someone breaks into your house, are you going to give them a gun? You know, I think it's very stupid uh, to do that kind of thing. So um, yeah, I mean, when it comes to the book of Sirach, what I would say is this, okay. I have read the book of Sirach over many, many times. I find it to be much more in line with the rest of Scripture than Paul's letters are. Much more in line. Okay? Uh, Yeah, sure, you can point out things like this, but hey, you can point out things like when Paul said, hey, you know, I'm going to dedicate this man to Satan. I'm going to, I'm going to deliver this person over to the devil, right? I mean, you, you can say, ho, 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 like the same kind of, if, if Paul was in, if Paul's letters were in the Apocrypha, my, oh my, whoo, would the, would the Apocrypha haters even have more of a, of a heyday with Paul? Wouldn't they? Wouldn't they? I mean, the way that Paul talks, right? Um, so the bottom line is this, Anthony, the same standard of judgment that people use against the apocrypha should be used against the rest of be be consistent the state the same standard of judgment in other words oh look there's one thing that doesn't look too good well well, how many things can we point out from genesis to revelation that doesn't look too good right jesus said he's going to kill their children in in revelation i'm going to cast them on a bed of sickness 
a woman, a poor woman comes to him for a, for a miracle. Oh, she's traveled a long ways and she is just distraught and she's at her wit's end and she's just, she's exhausted. And Jesus said, ah, I'm not going to give a miracle to a dog. It depends on how you look at it. It depends on how you approach it, right? If people use the same kind of judgment on the Apocrypha as they do on the letters of Paul or on what I've just mentioned there, some of the gospel. There are so many discrepancies and so many contradictions between the four gospels. It's just mind-boggling, okay? There's way more I, that I'm aware of between the four gospels than there are amongst all of the Apocrypha with the rest of the scripture. So what I would say is, to like, it's not, you know, put it this way. Um, inspired doesn't mean perfect. Inspired does not mean perfect. Would I say that the book of Sirach is perfect? I don't know if I'd ever I don't know if I'd ever say that. Okay. Would I say that anything is ever perfect? Uh, I would highly recommend that you listen to a, a video that uh, we did with Brother Onia, Onia Safarbal. Uh a couple of weeks ago, in, entitled "Evidence of Bible Manuscripts Corrupted," you go back in the replay. You'll see everything from Genesis all the way through, uh, and more so even in the New Testament. Way more in the New Testament than it is in the Old Testament. But in the Old Testament, lots. Okay, Tanakh. I hate to call it Old Testament the Tanakh, the so-called Old Testament. There are lots and lots of manuscript variations and discrepancies and additions and subtractions, and it's just all over the place. It really is. Compare. I mean, get yourself a hold of you know, like the Samaritan version of the Torah based upon um, based upon the Hebrew. Okay, you know, get your get yourself a hold of one of those. Get yourself a hold of one of the Septuagints. Um, Compare those. Is it, compare that with the Masoretic text. That's a it's a, a lot younger than what we have in these two texts. And the Masoretic text is a lot younger, hundreds if not over, if not about a thousand years younger. Um, so I would say this: I have heard Christians defend contradictions clear contradictions within their own Bible so much. Like they'll they'll look at red and call it blue. They'll look at blue and they'll call it red. They'll said, yes, it God says yes, but he means no. Like how much can you uh, I, I've seen Christians bend this their Bible verses so much to make it compatible with others. If they do the same thing with the Apocrypha, wow. The only reason why they don't is because they I, they are idolaters. They are bibliolaters. They I, they idolize their sixty six book Bible canon. So my arguments to defend the book of to book of book of Sirach. I mean, I, I, I'm not even defending the book of Sirach. I'm just saying people should be consistent. The word inspired doesn't necessarily mean perfect. Again, people inspire me to write music. Doesn't mean 
Anthony, if you inspire me to write a, a, a song, does that mean every word and every note and, and, and everything about that song is, is what you want, is right from you, right from your hand, right from your mouth? No, of course not. It might, it might be not. I might say things that, that you don't agree with. But it's still inspired of you. So people can, can be inspired of God and still say things that God doesn't agree with. Still make errors. After all, God, if God wanted it to be perfect, he'd come and do it himself. But he didn't. That's not his will. That's not his way. He wanted, he wanted it to be done through humans that are riddled with error and that constantly make errors. And you see that all the way through history. Anything, any argument that's taken that, that someone uses against the Apocrypha, I would, I would say that it, it, they are inconsistent with the rest of Scripture. They need to use that, those, that same kind of standard, that same kind of attitude that they have against the Apocrypha, put it against the Scripture and see how it stands up. It won't. Okay, going nowhere. What does it mean to use discernment or to test the spirits? So, testing the spirits, we only see that in the book of 1 John. Okay, so, um, yeah, so 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So. We got to look at this from a, 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 a wider. We gotta we gotta broaden our our minds on these things because out of all of the scores, out of all of the um, authors in the Bible, over a period of like fifteen hundred years, it only mentions that once. Okay, uh, and. What my, my point is this, okay? So a lot of Christians are like, they're always like this, test the spirits, test the spirits, test the spirits all the time. It's not even in the book of Acts. I mean, it's not, when did the end, like when did Jesus ever talk about it? When did the 12 disciples ever talk about it? Um, when did any of the prophets ever talk about it? And when did any of the other like apostles ever talk about it? It's not talking about it. The way Christian, the way Christians use that term, test the spirits, is like it's, it's, like it's a common thing. It's like something that you would see all the way through the Bible, like you know, you know, like like the word God or like the word Lord. Oh, test of spirits is another thing you see all. The way. No, it's not. So what what I mean is this: we should never take something that is only spoken of once or maybe even twice and blow it out of proportion, make it into something that is like a primary um, theme for our life. So the whole thing about testing spirits is far too over, overrated, in my opinion. Um, what John, what I believe was what John is talking about is that you, you know, everything has a spirit behind it. Everything is spiritual. Okay, everything has a spirit behind it. So you need to test the spirits. We we spoke about this before, uh, actually, just earlier tonight. Um, 
the um, the prophets, all the prophets, it says in Second um, Kings chapter seventeen, verse thirteen. It says, all the prophets and every seer, they have all called people to turn away from their sins and to start obeying the commandments. That's, that's I mean, that's part of testing the spirits is to understand, hey, you, this person claims to be a seer. This person claims to be of God. This person claims to be a prophet. Is he calling people away from their sins to repent from their sins and to obey the commandments of God? If he's not... then that is a false spirit. Okay? How do we know that? Because it says in the it says in the scriptures that every prophet and every seer does that. If you meet a prof, so-called prophet or a so-called seer that doesn't do that, there's a red flag, a huge red flag. Okay? Uh, so we should be, I mean, testing, <laughs> I, I hate, you never hear me use that phrase, test the spirits, because of the fact that it's only in the scriptures once, right? I mean, uh, I've read through it. I, I spoke about it before uh, when I read through the book of First John last year. Okay, I spoke about that. Um, I commented on that before. So uh, discernment, I mean, everybody needs discernment. Discernment is basically just, uh, another word for discernment is just judging, uh, discerning something is judging it. You can discern it as good or discern it as bad. You are judging it as good or you are judging it as bad. Everybody needs discernment. In other words, you have to have enough knowledge, enough information, and gather enough evidence and to know how to sift through the evidence and to see and to identify truth from error. Excuse me, if you're talking to somebody, if you meet somebody, a person may be a son of Belial. A person may be a son of God. You need to be able to discern. Part of that is the judging. And God would give you the ability to judge. Now, you pray, You can pray for discernment, right? And that's, that's very important. We need to do that. Pray for discernment. But don't just pray. Put some footwork, you know, put some footwork to it. Read, study the scriptures, think, meditate on the scriptures, get educated. The more educated you are in the ways of God, especially in the Tanakh, especially in the Torah, that tells you the ways of God. That tells you God's standard of right and wrong, how he works, all that stuff. So the more we understand that, we more, the more we study that, the more we know God the more we know how God works. So if we discern something that's opposite to what we, opposite to that, opposite to the Torah, opposite to God's ways, as made known to us through the Tanakh, then we can say, hey, I discern that's not good. It's not consistent with the rest of Scripture. Again, when I'm saying rest of Scripture, I'm talking about Tanakh. So to use, what does it mean to use discernment? It means to use your God-given brains and knowledge and good critical thinking skills to discern truth from falsehood, good from evil, to judge, to make a distinction. That's what it means. Thank you very much, uh, Going Nowhere. Very good question. Thank you for asking. 
Going nowhere, asked another question, is astronomy or astrology anti-biblical? Astronomy, simply, you know, the studying, the study of the of the stars and all that kind of thing, the planets. There's nothing wrong with that, as long as you're not worshiping any of them. Right? So astrology is a completely different matter. We see that very clearly through the scriptures that astrology is not good. It's not good. Okay. Um, that is not according to the ways of God at all. Thank you for the question. Thank you for the question. Going nowhere. Will says Shalom. And good evening, everyone. Shalom, Will. Good to see you. Welcome. And I'm sorry if I missed anybody else too that said Shalom. My apologies. If you don't have at Christopher in it, I'm not going to see it right now. But welcome to all you guys. Welcome. Blessings multiplied to you. Going nowhere says I asked about animals, but what makes people clean or unclean? When you find atonement, forgiveness, that makes you clean. When you find salvation, so to speak, that makes you clean. When you have a person who is unrepentant, they have sin in their heart and in, or in their life, that is what makes them unclean. So a person that has sin in their life, in any area of their life, that makes them unclean. If that person repents from their sin, meaning turning away from it, meaning you stop doing it, you stop doing what you shouldn't be doing, God forgives you and you become clean. Again, thank you for your question going nowhere. Great Deception says, I believe test the spirit means all spirits, including men. Yeah. I believe that as well. Deuteronomy 13, yes, repent, follow Yeshua, keep Yahuwah's commands. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Question from Mubai. I just saw this one. Sorry, you didn't have at Christopher in there. So could you please show your Torah scroll again? Yeah, I can do that. Um, once again, just give me a minute. I'll be right back. Right here. Um, Torah scroll. It's, they're also called Safer Torahs as well. Um, as an S-E-F-E-R or C-E-F-E-R. It's different, different ways of spelling it, but that's uh, what it's called. So you have the Torah scroll here. And it is... Actually, this um, pointer is actually part of it. This is the yod. Yod. So it come like this, okay? And uh, so this is this is not a legit. Uh, uh, I should say it, it's legit, but I should say it's not a. Um, it's not a certified Torah scroll. What I mean by that is. A, a real certified kosher Torah scroll is very, very expensive. Okay, this is not, um, but a real certified kosher Torah scroll is like tens of thousands, perhaps even over a hundred thousand dollars to buy, and that's because it. They even do it today. They make Torah scrolls today by a. Um, legit scribe by hand 
every single word, every single letter of the Torah, of you know, every single Hebrew letter, everything is written by hand um, on a certified kosher Torah scroll. This is not. This is like a copy. Okay, this is a, like a clone. Okay, it's a clone. Um, yeah. So. Um, Certified kosher Torah scroll is is very expensive and takes a long time to make. It takes years for it is done by hand. Uh, it's an amazing thing. And uh, again, according to Jewish law, there's a, it's uh, it's um, it's uh, it's not to be disposed of like anything else. It, it's there, there's a very special way to dispose of it. Uh, it can't be just disposed of like any other scroll or anything like that. It, ha- it has to be it has to be handled with great um, uh, what do you call it? Great respect, okay. And so, um, let's give you guys a little bit of a peek. This is called a breastplate, by the way. Called a breastplate, okay. And again, you know, it's like a, a real, <laughs> this is like, like a clone, but a real one would be like a silver one. I don't think this is silver. I think this is more like, like a, again, like a, a clone kind of like of that. So um, it's called the breastplate. This is called a mantle. Okay. So they take the mantle off and you have within the mantle, you have the actual Torah scroll itself. With like a belt around it, okay. I'll take the belt off, and you've got like that's the way that's the way it looks inside there. So um, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be um, by tradition exactly how Moses had it. Okay, that's what they say. Anyway, that's what they say. Um, like the exact number of columns and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so, and the, the whole, um, function or purpose of the yod, which is the, the pointer that I showed you earlier is to, to use it, to read the Torah scroll. You, uh, you're not supposed to really touch it with your fingers. Okay. Uh, to you know, to pre- to prevent your uh, natural, you know, oils on your fingers from from damaging it. Yeah. So the, the Torah scroll is very, very. Um, uh, it, it's supposed to be uh, by Jewish Jewish law. Actually, it's supposed to be handled very, very respectfully. It's not even supposed to be stored in a room that is. That is, uh, uh, that's a recreational room. It has to be stored in, in, a, in a very special place. Um, and this, the place that they usually put the, the, the Torah scroll is what they call the Ark. This is just a, like a little box that they put it in. But in a synagogue, you would have either a box or you would have like an actual room. It's actually like a, like a big walk-in closet kind of room, a big room. That they actually put the Torah scroll in. So, um, yeah. So, there's the little sneak peek on the Torah scroll there.
Anthony says, do you think that the Syriac verse contradicts Jesus' words about giving to him who asks? Um, I mean, literally, if you like me, if you really look at what it says here, it doesn't say do not give to the one who asks. It just basically do not go, just do not help someone who is godless, who's a sinner. Okay. There's a, there is a difference. I mean, there is a difference between someone who's begging, like asking you versus someone who's just, you know, who's not asking you, but you, you, you go and you give to them anyway. You know what I mean? So it doesn't, I mean, that, that doesn't necessarily contradict. Uh, it, yeah. I mean, it all depends on how you look at it. It, it. Again, I mean, if you look at someone like, um, like how Paul taught about eating food sacrificed to idols. I mean, the, the way most Christians, uh, um, Interpret that is a is a direct contradiction to what Jesus taught in Revelation chapters two and three. Um, the salvation message is a direct contradiction to what Jesus taught. Uh, so, again, please, Anthony, and anybody else that's listening to this, do not go by this whole thing about inspired means. There has to be it has to be one hundred percent in line. It can't not one verse can contradict the other verse. That's not true. Not true whatsoever. Again, what people need to understand is the Holy Bible is not biblical. It's not biblical. God never told anybody to make a Bible. Jesus never told anybody to make a Bible. They had each and, each and every scroll kept in separate places throughout uh, the synagogue. I mean, at least throughout the area where they kept them and they had, again, like something like the Torah scroll would be kept in a different place because it has a different place in, in authority within the, uh, w within the synagogue and within, you know, everywhere, basically. Um, so what people has to really, people need to realize that each and every book of the Bible should be read and understood of as a individual book written by different authors. So important. Because reading it as if it's all one book that was written as all one book is, 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 is I mean, it's just not true. Um, the Bible was not written as one book. Yeah, it never, never was. And Kingdom Concepts makes a good point here as well. People can be unclean physically and or spiritually. It's true as well, yes. I didn't mention the physically part that much. I, I don't think that God really cares too much about the physically part, but that is it is it is true as well. Alex says, uh, "What do you think about NDEs or people saying they saw Jesus in a dream?" I personally know of someone who actually has been taught by Jesus in a dream, the Bible before they even read it. Uh, I believe that it is very, very um, powerful and uh, very real. And uh, I believe that God does work in that in those ways. NDEs. Now, when it comes to NDEs, a different thing. Um, I have studied many, many different NDEs, many hundreds. Uh, so, what I've come to, what I've come to understand and 
how I do this is this. When it comes to NDEs, I believe that the vast majority of them are real. Not all of them. I'm just saying the vast majority of them are real. Um, there are some, there are lots of them actually that you know people say, well, it's just a hallucination because of their chemicals in their brain and all this, you know, the all that kind of stuff. They say perhaps and maybe a few, but not all, not all, um, because they're able to go. They're able to when they when they are resuscitated, they are they're they're able to to testify of things that they that they say you know i was just in the next room and i heard these people talking about this how can you know that unless you were there i was just in the other i was just over on the other side of the hospital when i was dead here and i heard what was what they were what they were talking about over there and i can tell you exactly what they were talking about right now or i was i went home and I saw, you know, grandpa and he was sitting there and, and I saw him and I wanted to talk to him, but he couldn't hear me. Uh, and this is exactly what he was doing. You call him and that's exactly what he was doing. I mean, there are many things like that where it's, it's very, very evident that this is not just a hallucination. However, let me just say this. When it comes to NDEs, anything less than 10 minutes. I mean, if someone has flatlined, clinically died for 10 minutes or less, I would, uh, I would be, uh, not that it's not real, but a lot of things may not be evident within the first 10 minutes. What I mean is, for example, there are a lot of people who die, they say they died and they go and they see a bright light and they see who they believe to be Jesus or the Lord, whatever. And then they come back and they're like, wow, you know, I just been to heaven but you were only there for like five minutes or less. And other people, many other people who have actually been there, they say that that's the first thing they see. But after that, so like a period of time after that, then they actually, they are sent to hell or a place that they call hell. So that's why I say the more time, the better, the more time that someone has, it's flatlined. Uh, the more time that someone is clinically dead and uh, and has come back to talk about it, the more weight I would give it, generally speaking, as a rule of thumb. So yes, I do believe that 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 they are real for the most part. You always get the fake ones. You always get you always get bad ones within the good ones. But yeah. Okay. All right, then. So that'll wrap it up for tonight. Um, tomorrow, again, another day of reading the scriptures and uh, and fellowshipping and uh, getting into some very interesting and awesome things, as always. Don't we always have some interesting and awesome things that we read and go through? It's amazing. Especially this time, going through some of the prophets, you know, going through Isaiah, it's just absolutely amazing. So, if, if you are new here, make sure you subscribe or follow, and you got the notifications turned on, um, and um, just know that we are going live every single day by the grace of God, um, Sunday through Friday, six days a week at 7 p.m. Eastern, and Saturday at 2 p.m. Eastern, we go live. Uh, Lord willing, we will be going live as much, as much as we can, as much as God allows us to do that. So 
Y'all are welcome to come back again tomorrow night, same time, same place. Great Deception says, thank you, brother. Much love and blessings to you all. You as well. Blessings multiplied back to you, brother. Going nowhere says, great stream, Chris. Thank you and God bless you. Thank you very much as always and God bless you more. Okay, guys, I'll see you again tomorrow night. As always, you guys are awesome. I appreciate each and every one of you. I appreciate your comments and your questions. Blessings, blessings multiplied to you. As always, I pray the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. Lift up his countenance upon you and give you wonderful, wonderful shalom. Amen. Amen. See you tomorrow night.